pray together one more time. Lord, we're thankful this morning uh, to be together and to be together in your presence as we've already been singing about and hearing about. It's, it's good. It's good to be together with you. And we pray this morning now, Lord, as we open our Bibles, that you would open our eyes and our ears uh, and especially our hearts uh, to receive your truth this morning. And so as we look uh, together to the scriptures, I, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Uh, so far in this series, um, we've, we've been looking at some passages primarily in the New Testament. And uh, one of the reasons why is that in the original languages, the words thank you or thanksgiving don't appear in the Old Testament. And that surprises some people because in our English translations, it's all over the place, especially in the Psalms. But in Hebrew, uh, that word didn't really exist. The, the best they had was a collection of words all having to do with telling others uh, about the, the person that you were thankful for, right? Uh, and, and this morning that will be true. We, we won't see those words in our text this morning, but we certainly will see um, the expression of thankfulness in this person's life. We're going to be in Psalm 73, Uh, That's on page 475 of the Bibles that the ushers just handed out. But before we read it together, there's there's some, uh, I think, helpful uh, words that that need to come in regards to the Psalms in general. Um, The Psalms are an important book in our Bible. Um, uh, they, They were important, in fact, to our Lord. Um, uh, the Psalms were Jesus's prayer book, if, if you will. And we can see that through his ministry. If we're paying attention to some of the things he said, he's referring back to uh, the Psalms. Um, but some of us have a hard time reading the Psalms. Uh, they're not a story. Um, they're, they're different. What are they? Well, maybe you know already that the Psalms are poetry. Um, and not just poetry, they're poetry that was meant to be sung. So they're songs, right? Um, but the, the poetry in them is not just any poetry, it's Hebrew poetry, which doesn't follow the same rules as maybe our English poetry does. And this means that they can get a little clunky sometimes when, when we translate them into English. They lose oftentimes their poetic uh, feel. Uh, Here's another thing about the Psalms that I think is really important for us to understand. Um, And this this sort of gets lost in, I'll I'll say, our our sanitized um, translations in, in English. The Psalms are raw human emotion put into song. And sometimes to our ears, if, if, we're, if we're really understanding what is being said, it might even sound offensive to us because it's that raw emotion that's, that's being talked about in these songs. 
Uh, Theologian Walter Brueggemann says it this way. The Psalms speak about the human experience in a raw and honest way. The psalmists know that life is dislocated and messy, and they don't feel the need to pretend that it's not. The Psalms are a collection of songs and prayers by people who are at the desperate edge of their lives. Any of you ever feel like you're at the desperate edge of life? I know I have. And in Psalm 73, we're going to hear the words of a songwriter who's on the desperate edge of life. And uh, thankfully for us, he discovers a way back to thanksgiving and worship uh, through repentance. Um, This morning, I'm going to be uh, reading from a paraphrase that that came out a few years ago. Uh, It's called the Passion Translation. And as we work through the text, I invite you to, to... Pay close attention to your own uh, preferred translation, uh, but, it, but at least for this reading, I want you to hear the, the raw emotion that I think uh, comes out through this paraphrase. So uh, again, Psalm 73, beginning at verse 1, a psalm of Asaph, truly God is good to Israel and to all those with pure hearts, but I nearly missed seeing it for myself. I came so close to slipping off the path. I was stumbling over what I saw with the wicked. For when I saw those boasters with such wealth and prosperity, I became jealous over their smug security. Indulging in whatever they want, going where they want, doing what they want, and with no care in the world. No pain, no problems. They seem to have it made. They live as though life will never end. They wear their pride like a jeweled necklace, and they clothe themselves with cruelty and violence. Pampered and pompous, vice oozes from their souls. They overflow with vanity, looking down their noses at everyone. They even scoff at God. They are nothing but bullies threatening God's people. Loudmouths with no fear of God pretending to know it all. Windbags, full of hot air, talking just to impress themselves. Yet the people, sometimes even your people, God, keep coming back to listen to more of their nonsense. They tell their cohorts, God will never know. See, he has no clue what we're doing. Just look at those wicked people, living a life of ease while their riches multiply. Have I been a fool to play by the rules and keep my life pure? Here I am suffering under your discipline day after day. I feel like I'm being punished for doing good. We'll stop there for a bit before we finish the psalm. Asaph is is named as the author of this psalm. Uh, It's one of 12 uh, that he wrote. Uh, Asaph was one of the Levite uh, musicians that David appointed for temple worship. He's credited with performing at the dedication of Solomon's temple, which was a really big deal. Right? Uh, for me, Asaph's words paint this vivid picture of some pretty nasty people, don't they? 
I mean, when I read his words, faces and, and names come to mind. Maybe faces and names come to your mind as well. Maybe it's that boss who continues to demean you just because you're a woman. And when you refuse his advances, you're, you're blocked from receiving promotions. Maybe it's a teacher or a professor who seems to take pleasure almost in your struggle to learn, to understand the material. Maybe you're a young person and it's a person who's a bully on the playground. Or maybe it's a bully in the office or somewhere else. Or maybe for you it's not a person at all. Maybe it's your circumstances. You, you just can't seem to get on top of things financially. Maybe it's a car or a house that's just fallen apart on you. Or maybe it's you that's falling apart on you, right? You get that phone call with the bad diagnosis or the pink slip and the bottom just kind of seems to drop out of life. Whatever the circumstance is, whatever the person uh, is, you may find yourself exactly where Asaph is by the time he gets to verses 13 and 14. Have I been a fool to play by the rules and keep my life pure? Here I am suffering under your discipline day after day, and I feel like I'm being punished for doing good. Asaph, it seems, concludes that living a good, godly life really hasn't benefited him at all. It hasn't brought him wealth or health or freedom from troubles. In fact, he, he even feels punished by God rather than rewarded for living right. Maybe some of you feel that way. Like God's responsible for the mess you're in. There's a problem with Asaph's thinking. Uh, Elmer Towns says that the Psalms are a mirror that reflect your own soul. So as you read and pray the Psalms, you'll see in these mirrors your own sin and hypocrisy more clearly than ever before. I want to suggest that in these two verses, we get a glimpse into Asaph's heart that just may be a mirror held up to our own hearts. Because the problem, it seems, for Asaph was that obedience wasn't a way of pleasing God, but rather a means of getting God to please him. Let that sink in here for just a moment. Do you obey God to please him? Or do you obey God as a way to get him to do what you want him to do? It's a big difference between those two. My own legalistic upbringing taught me that if I did good, then God would be pleased with me and I'd lead this sort of charmed life, right? Everything would, would go well for me. And in fact, there were psalms that suggested this. Psalm 1 was used as proof of this. It, it says that the person who obeys the Lord will succeed in everything they do. As you've probably figured out, like Asaph, like me, that's not true. It's just not true. You can try your level best 
to please God. And life will still be hard. People will still be jerks. Health and finances may still go to pieces on you. In 1989, my wife Becky was diagnosed with MS. She'd she'd been having the symptoms for a few years, uh, but the the doctors couldn't pinpoint what the problem was. They were little things that ended up adding up, but uh, vision issues, balance issues, numbness in her limbs. And, And even back then, she was so gracious in her acceptance of the disease, um, more gracious than I was. She, she saw it as an opportunity to spend more time praying for others. Uh, many of you have been on her list, on her prayer list. Um, our kids have pretty much only ever known their mom uh, with this disease. And they, they just sort of accepted it as a norm. I think they probably thought all kids' moms were like this right? Well, not me. Because I knew her before. I knew her when she could go on strenuous all-day hikes, climb up mountains and, and, and hills, vibrant and, and seemingly full of unending energy. And so when that diagnosis came, I was devastated. And for Many years, I, I prayed for healing. Um, Becky would say, I think you're too focused on healing. Let's just focus on how to live with this. Right? I remember her saying one time, I think you need me healed more than I need me healed. There's probably some truth in that. Here's the thing, though. Over, over time, my prayers for healing turned dark. They turned angry. And just like Asaph, uh, my anger wasn't focused on the disease. My anger was focused at God. I remember at one point I, I verbalized this in a prayer to God. I have given my life to serve you. I, I left a really good job, good paying job to go to seminary. Now I'm working five jobs just to try to make ends meet because you told me. This is the thanks I get. Sort of like the story of Teresa of Avila who said to God, if this is how you treat your friends, it's no wonder you have so few of them. Was it right for me to talk to God like that? Yelling at him and shaking my fist at him? Well, no. And yes. My theology was really messed up. Okay? We'll just get that out there right, right now. My anger was totally misplaced. But one of the things that the Psalms teach us is that it's it's okay, it's good to be honest with God about our feelings. That's what Asaph is doing here. It's what Jesus did from the cross. My God, my God, why? Why have you forsaken me? So honesty with God is good, but 
Asaph seems to realize he's walking a really fine line here. Verse 15, if I had given in to my pain and spoken to others of what I was really feeling, I would have sounded like a traitor to your people. Remember, he's a worship leader. When I tried to understand it all, I just couldn't. It was too puzzling, too much of a riddle to me. So I I think one of the things we learn here is just the wisdom of sitting with our feelings while we try to sort things out. Asaph recognizes that, that speaking these things to others too soon could actually be detrimental to their faith. And so he's stuck in this puzzle and while he feels free to talk to God about it, he, he practices restraint in voicing it to others. And then the psalm turns. Something happens that changes his perspective. Verse 17, But then one day I was brought into the sanctuary of God, and in the light of his presence my distorted perspective vanished. I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. They're the ones who are on the slippery path, And God will suddenly let them slide off into destruction to be consumed with terror. It will be an instant end of their life of ease. A blink of an eye and they'll be swept away by sudden calamity. They are nothing more than momentary monarchs, soon to disappear like a dream when one awakes. You rub your eyes and nothing. There's nothing to them and there never was. Tim Keller says that the first step out of the the sinkhole of resentment and envy is worship. Because in the presence of the one true God, Asaph's vision changes. It it clears. He he begins to get a a long-term perspective. He, He sees the end game. And in God's presence, Asaph realizes that what we see isn't all there is to see. Because the last chapter hasn't been written yet. He sees that the rich without God are on their way to being eternally poor. That that celebrities without God are on their way to being endlessly ignored. One day, one day God will set things right. There will be justice. Evil people will be destroyed by their own devices. What a great ending to the psalm, right? Except it's not. Because as he contemplates these wicked people, Asaph sees a wickedness in himself. Verse 21. And then I realized my heart was bitter. And I was torn up inside. I was so stupid I was senseless and ignorant, acting like a brute beast before you, Lord. Yet in spite of all this, you comfort me by your counsel. You draw me closer to you. You lead me with your wisdom. And following you brings me into the brightness of your presence. And these familiar words, whom have I in heaven but you? You're all I want. No one on earth means as much to me as you do. Lord, so many times I fail, I fall into disgrace. But when I trust in you, I have a strong and glorious presence protecting and anointing me forever. You are all I need. 
Those who abandon the worship of God will perish. The false and unfaithful will be silenced, never heard from again. But as for me, God's presence is all I need. Yahweh, you are my shelter. And I'll keep telling the world of your awesome works. See, in God's presence, Asaph realized that the wicked eventually reap what they sow. But more importantly, as the the light of God's presence shined on him, it also exposed some dry rot in his own heart. He had said in verse 13, have I kept myself pure for nothing? And then he realized he wasn't really pure at all. His own heart was, was filthy with bitterness and greed. And so God takes Asaph out to the woodshed to have a little talk. God ever do that to you when you come into worship? He does for me. He does for me sometimes while I'm preaching. Pastor Dean, this is for you. Asaph's response is repentance and reordering. He acknowledges his sin. And then he turns his heart away from the perceived treasure of prosperity and health and turns toward the real treasure of God's presence in his life. I I think one of the things that can make reading and, and praying the Psalms, understanding the Psalms difficult is that too often we read them like we would read one of the stories from the Gospels, a narrative. And they're not narrative. Reading them in this way could maybe lead us to summarize the psalm this way. One day Asaph woke up, and during his morning devotions, he thanked God for being so good to him. That afternoon, a greedy shop owner ripped him off and put him in a bad mood the rest of the day. That evening, though, he went to worship, and God really spoke to him. He repented, and before going to bed, he wrote this beautiful song. That doesn't feel legit to me. Um, It it turns it sort of into this trite religious cliche, something to put on a Christian key change or, or Frisbee or something. It's disingenuous. Um, the reality is this, this song may have taken days, months, maybe even years for Asaph to write. Not only because art takes time, but because it can take a long time to identify and, and rightly deal with disappointment and, and bitterness in our, in our hearts. I think it was about 1993, uh, I was on a spiritual retreat. I was hiking... Uh, uh, at Ecola State Park there on the coast. Uh, and I was praying, which sounds really spiritual, right? Walking in the woods and praying. Really what that meant was that I was continuing with this fist-shaking rant that I had been on for about five years. About why my life was so hard when I had given it to the service of the Lord. And all of a sudden, on that trail in the middle of the woods, 
I found myself in God's presence. And there was no mistaking it. It was, it was powerful. It was scary. And it was loving. And in his presence, I realized really for the first time that I had become a bitter person. And I heard him ask, as we, as we hear God ask us, often, what's really going on here? And then I saw it. I realized how ridiculous it was to to think that God owed me a life of ease or a wife without any disability just because I had obeyed him and become a pastor. Woohoo! And then I wept. I told him I was sorry. I told him that I had been an ignorant brat. I remember those words. I had been an ignorant brat. And that there was only really one thing that I needed and wanted. The thing that that actually was the, the greatest treasure of all, and that would be his presence, him being with me. Something we'll see here as we go through Advent. Emmanuel, God with us. That's what I longed for. At the deepest levels of my heart, that's what I really wanted. And in that brokenness, you know what God does? He doesn't say, well, that's better. Don't let that happen again. In that moment, I felt his loving embrace. I could feel it. The loving embrace of my heavenly father. Uh, That will remain one of the most profound spiritual experiences I've ever had in my life. I'll never, ever forget it. It was wonderful. And and the truth is, I've had to revisit that prayer several times over the years. I I still find myself maybe leaning towards Asaph's rant at the beginning of Psalm 73 and then realizing, oh no, it's me, isn't it? It's me. Uh, but, But sort of a... Uh, an Ebenezer, if you will, a monument, if you will, to, to progress. And that's, it's helpful to be able to look back and go, oh, actually, I'm not in the same place as I was then. If you fast forward with me to September 8, 2017, at 4.45 p.m., I recorded the call, phone call from Becky that would tell me, It was breast cancer. My heart still sank. I still had that fear of potentially losing my wife, but it was different this time. Because together we went to God, not primarily asking for healing, rather asking for his help and doing this well, whatever that might mean. And notably, there was no bitterness this time. No anger at God. 
just a determination to stay in his presence through this process, whatever that would bring. And we didn't know at the time. Psalm uh, 73 ends with gratitude. And I'm going to show you here in a, in a moment how it does that. Uh, my story ends with gratitude. There's still no evidence of cancer after the treatment for now. Praise the Lord. That's not everyone's story, right? Uh, but for now, we praise the Lord that that's true. We're grateful for it. But I'll tell you what, that's not the thing we're most grateful for. The bigger gratitude isn't about that. The greater gratitude is about God's presence in our lives. And that was true for Asaph as well. Uh, Now, I I said the word thanks isn't in this psalm, but the concept is. And and remember, and and I'll explain this a little more um, next week, but Asaph didn't have a, a word in his language for thank you. All he had were these words and and phrases that communicated that out of a heart of gratitude, I will tell your name. That's how it it worked. And that's what we see in the closing line when he says, I'll keep telling the world of your awesome deeds. It's interesting in this psalm that the pattern we've seen these past couple of weeks is, is reversed. Two weeks ago, we saw that Uh, Gratitude produces generosity. Last week, we saw that gratitude creates joy, deep, abiding joy. But in Psalm 73, there's a a different sequence, isn't there? It seems here that coming into God's presence in worship helps to expose areas in our hearts that aren't aligned with the heart of God. And as we repent and reorder our lives around him, then thanksgiving is born out of that. It's very interesting. So when Asaph was bitter, when he felt entitled to certain blessings because he had kept himself pure, he actually couldn't be thankful. Gratitude was blocked. He was stuck. And it's the same for us today. Uh, If we don't enter into God's presence in worship and and repent of the things that are out of alignment, then we won't make it to that place of thankfulness and gratitude. We we short-circuit the the spirit-filled, abundant life that God has designed us for. But when we come into God's presence and allow him to expose our sin, and we repent of that sin. We discover uh, contentment and gratitude in just being with God. And it helps us not be focused on the stuff anymore. We're satisfied with Him. And from that place, we move into a place of thankfulness and, and gratitude where we are compelled to tell others about how awesome God is. Again, we'll talk more about that next week. So to close this morning, I'd like us to take uh, a few minutes to let this psalm um, help us do some heart work. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to turn to Psalm 73 if you're not already there um, or bring it up on your, on your Bible app. 
And I'm, I'm just going to ask you some questions as you, as you look through there. So with your Bible open to Psalm 73, bring to mind now a person or a circumstance that makes you feel like life just isn't fair. Or maybe even that there's no point in following God because you don't really get any benefit from it. Can you find words in this psalm that express those feelings back to God? Take just a moment to pray those silently to him now. Here's a, here's a kind of tough one. Are there areas in your soul that have become bitter? As, as you hold this mirror of psalm up to your own heart, do you see places that have become bitter? Use the words from this psalm to confess that to God. Pray those silently now. Thirdly, uh, we sang these words earlier. Uh, but I know that sometimes the words we sing off the, from the screen are they're just words. They're not necessarily your heart speaking. Can you declare today that your deep desire is for him alone? Will you commit to finding your security, your shelter, your treasure in him? Find words in this psalm to help you make that commitment to God. And then finally, can you move toward thankfulness just for God's presence? Can you commit to telling others of the awesome things he has done? God, you are good and what you do is good. We're, we're grateful this morning for being in relationship with you. We thank you for that. We pray that as, as Scripture uh, becomes a mirror of our own hearts, that we would see rightly who we are, 
and make the necessary corrections along the way. And that we would find uh, our, the, the, the deepest places of our hearts satisfied in knowing you and loving you and worshiping you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.